Thank you for joining us today for Armchair Historians. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cannon. Armchair Historians is a Belgian Rabbit production. Stay up to date with us through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Wherever you listen to your podcast, that is where you'll find us. You can also find us at armchairhistorians.com. Also, won't you consider becoming a patron of the show? In an effort to keep Armchair Historians commercial-free, I have decided to work with Patreon. Now, if you mosey on over to www.patreon.com backslash armchair historians, that's historians with an S. You can find out more about supporting the show and about exclusive patron content that you will have access to. You can chip in anywhere from a dollar to $15 a month or just make a one-time donation. You will be helping me to keep the lights on. And if you can't make a donation, that's totally cool. I just hope you will continue to listen to our free podcast. Today we continue talking to Manuel, host of Random History of Belgium, a podcast that looks at events, companies, people, and the culture of Belgium. Through his podcast, Manuel informs, educates, and entertains his listeners by explaining random parts of history, ranging from playing cards, the Belgium royal family, to food and World War II, and much, much more. Today we pick up where we left off last week in the midst of a heated discussion about World War I and World War II in Belgium. The psyche of not just my mother, who was not alive during World War I, but all the people that were alive during World War I, and oh my God, here they come again, and what that did to them and why so many people clogged up the streets and the mm-hmm. Germans were able to use that as a, a kind of a, a weapon against the um what we would call the Allied forces. Yeah, but, but it's fascinating because uh, what you say, the, the, the roads were uh, at that moment blocked with, because so many people all started to, well, flee at the same time. Um, and that was partly because what they remembered or their parents remembered about World War One totally. and what happened there. And the, the fear of the Germans was also known on the other side. They knew, like, okay, we have to treat them more humanly this time because otherwise everyone will f- start fighting us, even normal citizens who w- would well, stir up uh, stuff. And they, they explicitly did, uh, well... Not that they were kind, but it was not on the level of World War One when they uh, when they invaded Belgium, specifically for that reason. Yeah, there was. I interviewed a guy named Jeff Lipkes. He wrote a book called um, "Rehearsals: Belgium in August 1914." No, no, no. The Germans in Belgium, August 1914, and he wrote a book, and it really was a culmination of. Uh, people's experiences. And my aunt, Adele, my great aunt, she was actually, her account was in that book. And that's how I found him. And so he wrote this book about, um, he said he wanted to set the record straight because there's still people today who believe that 
it wasn't what happened wasn't as bad as they said it was. They said it was mm-hmm. propaganda. The rape of Belgium was prop all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and so he had cut, he was a professor and he came across all this material and he wrote this book and I recommend it, but he was a guest on my show. I think he was my last guest. Mm-hmm. And um, he talks about that. He talks about the, the military, the German military was told to watch what you do and to not repeat what mm-hmm. happened in world war one. But having said that the psychological impact I think was already, you know, fostered inside of people. And, you know, we do talk about, there is a lot of uh, gray areas. There is a story in the documentary. We talk about my mom in uh, La Roche-sur-Yon in France, cause that's where her family ends up. And it ends up being, uh, it's a German military town during the war and, you know, there is a really touching story about a German soldier. So um, I I realize that there is two sides, like you say, and I hope to bring out some of that, you know, ambiguity uh, as far as the German. My mom, my mom always said that um, there was a difference between the SS and yeah. a regular German soldier. Absolutely. And she, at a young age, learned that. Yeah, the, 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 the level of fanaticism was of course uh, much different uh, we also see that i have uh, one episode about one of the concentration camps in brendonk in belgium uh, where the ss actually um, had an internment camp there uh, to work people to death and uh, I didn't know that. one of the well not it's not a contest of course it's not but it's it's one of the places that's being perceived as the worst by the people who were actually imprisoned there um, because of the, the the fanatics that ran the place, what's often forgotten is that there, this fanaticism also is a pendulum and it swings back and forth. And uh, when, for example, in that case, when that place was liberated, the resistance, okay, let's call them the resistance, took over and they did actually the same, but with people who collaborated with the mm-hmm. Germans yeah. in the same place. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a swinging pendulum and you it cannot is. look away like, okay, that first part fits whatever narrative you want to tell. That second part, we're, well, we're going to ignore because, no, it, it's, it happens. And uh, The story is not story. about Germans being bad. It's a human story. It's what Absolutely. we're capable of. I look at the United States and, you know, just some of the things I've Absolutely. seen in the newspaper the past, the past few days, a young man in uh, Georgia who was, I don't know if you heard the story, a father and son went out. They were uh, basically hunting for sport and they shot a black man who was jogging in his neighborhood. I believe that our administration has fostered this and emboldened people to um, act out on these, you know, things that are based in fear and hate and racism. And so I see what I see and why I feel the story is so important to tell is because a lot of that stuff is happening again. And it's happening in the United States. I can tell you that for sure. And it's so shocking to me it's so shocking to me but i keep remembering it's not about a group of people it's about our humanness and what we're capable of uh, i so, totally agree there i totally agree 
that, that's also the nice thing about diving into history, especially for Belgium. Everything has a few sides here. Uh, for example, we have uh, the narrative of the, the north of uh, Belgium, Flanders, who predominantly speaks Dutch, and then the French in the south, French-speaking. And um, it's, it's funny to see how this is played out sometimes. And, and they pitch people against each other. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's, uh, it's something that repeats itself all, over and over again. And I, I sometimes find it very funny to dive into that if it's really from a while ago and, and to see the similarities to something that's going yeah. on right now. And some, but I don't explicitly tell this because I don't want to like, oh, look at that. It's, it's, it's just like what happens now. If you do that all the time, it's a bit yeah, strange, but people hear it and they, they realize like what's going on. I think it, yeah. history is fascinating that way. Um, I, I never was into history like this by doing the podcast. I learned how interesting it is uh, to dive into that and to, to examine some things that happened. That, that's why I do this, because uh, one thing I really want to tell is you, you say armchair historians. I think that's very valuable um, because the academic world and, and uh, people who have this as their job and are historians and write books about it and so on, they, in my opinion, shield themselves. And I asked about 13 people in Belgium who are historians with degrees in history and so on, uh, even a few well-known people, and they even don't want to respond. They want nothing to do with an amateur who has some stupid podcast. The thing that I find (laughs) about academics, and I agree with you, the thing I find out about find about academics and quote-unquote historians although i i did actually i have uh interviewed historians Mm -hmm. there's this sense of like ownership of history that i see in some people and it's you know that's i am coming from a different place than that i'm coming from that we all own the history what does this narrative Mm -hmm. mean to i you know another human being and that's the jumping off point for armchair historians I want to be as accurate as possible, but mm-hmm. it's really about what a narrative means to somebody and that passion that goes along with it. And nobody owns history. Nobody owns it. There's the facts. You know, he walked down the street on, you know, May 15th and the sun was shining. That's a fact. But then there's a lot of other um, layers to that. And the, it's it's his experience of walking down the street on a sunny day. So history mm-hmm. is there's a fabric and it's woven by many different things is what i'm trying to say so yeah. you know and i love history i've always loved history but i've always felt on the outside mm-hmm. of this idea yeah. of academia and you know history as a study um but what i've realized re- in the past few years is that no history belongs to all of us the, the problem is they want to own something there and I can understand if if I examine something and I really dive into a, a certain subject and I discover whatever, I, I, I discover something like that politician did this and that and so on. And I'm the first one to discover that. And I, I write it in a blog or in a book or I make a podcast out of it. But it's, it's a fact. Everybody can check it. It's a fact. Then everybody owns it. I can be mentioned as the guy uh, putting that together 
that's fine. And some people make a living of that by making books and saying, okay, I discovered this and that. I totally respect that. And I will always credit them like, okay, this book is great because uh, he brings us a story about so-and-so-and-so. That's okay. But don't say that I cannot, let's say, ask a question. Uh, a nice difference was there is a, a technical guy I called at, the moment, uh, at a certain uh, point. And that's a, a totally different subject. And he works at the University of Leuven. And he puts, he's, he's, um, he's a specialist in um, encryption, a Belgian uh, uh, professor. He immediately offered to help out with the episodes. He even edited my texts to make them more accurate. He pointed out some mistake I made in something really deep technically. And I am technically myself. I worked with that stuff and he even corrected me because he is the professor. He knows better than me how that stuff works. That's great. And I put him, uh, well, I, I, I really say like, okay, I, I will mention his name and I will tell on the podcast how great he was to work together. Do the same with someone who investigated some historical fact in Belgium and you hardly get any response. That's mm -hmm. my experience. Mm. There will be exceptions, of course. It's sometimes ridiculous. Like um, there, there was one guy who wrote a book about the, um, um, the Buck Riders, some uh, mythical gang that lived in the Middle Ages or whatever. I forgot about the details. <laughs> I, I contacted these guys, and the first thing he said, like, I will not help you with a podcast, but please buy my book. Yeah. And I answered him, like, I have the questions because I already read the book. And, uh, but okay, whatever, man. And I, I did not mention his website. I did not mention his book. I did the, the, uh, the episode with information I got from all other places. It's sometimes so closed down. And I think information belongs to not the people, but to us all. Let's say if I want to look at a, uh, a newspaper from the 50s on a microchip, I should do that. I pay taxes, they, they uh, keep that library open uh, with that money, and I have the right to look into that. If someone else, if my neighbor wants to do the same podcast, he can visit that uh, library as well and have the same information. And it's sometimes too closed down, I think. But okay, I find ways around it. Yeah. I find uh, my sources myself. And, uh, well, sometimes I see it picked up uh, because if you make a podcast about something that they say, ah, you remind us of something, then like three weeks afterwards, I see an article about that in some Belgian newspaper. And it's not a coincidence. If that happens once, uh, maybe it's a guy who comes across the same idea as me. If that happens like six times in a row, it's not a coincidence. Right. So who, this is another question I have for you. Who are your listeners? Uh, a few Belgian people who just don't mind uh, that I do this show in English. Well, not perfect English, as you can hear, but it's understandable. <laughs> uh, no, your but, English um, is good, yeah. Mostly people all over the world. And it's maybe a cliche, but I have uh, listeners from Chile, South Africa, Sweden, uh, many people from the Wisconsin area because there are uh, uh, people from uh, with Belgian ancestry uh, there. Interesting. Um, and well, I, I got sometimes I got mails like, 
what's really cool is people mailing me like after the episodes about uh, the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo and I made a whole series of episodes about uh, what Belgians did there and so on and uh, a listener mailed me like my father worked on that railroad you mentioned and it's like oh that's cool and then you can yeah about that it's it touches people and they listen to so it's from all over the world, literally. I have people from Italy, the Netherlands, uh, name it. So how do you interact with your fans? How do, how do you how do they reach you and how do you interact with them? Um, mostly by email and a bit Twitter. But Twitter is a bit of, well, kind of different. Um, hardly anyone will say, hey, I listen to your show on Twitter. That, that's a minority. It's mostly other podcasters. <laughs> I'm trying to crack that nut, Twitter. It's, I just can't. I mean, yeah, but, you know, have, having said that, I don't have a lot of followers, but I have made some really good connections through Twitter. That's you know, uh, you're, really you're one of them. The key. Yeah, that's the key. Uh, you can make good connections there. You can talk to people who have the same interest. And so for me, Twitter is great as a podcaster. Although sometimes there are these people who are there to promote themselves a bit too much. And I try to stay away from that because I'm totally not, I don't do marketing, for example. I, I, I will not do any marketing oh, at all. Oh, that was my other question. See, you don't do marketing. <laughs> no, nothing. It's, if, if some listener tells another listener to listen to my show, that's my marketing. <laughs> yeah, I spend a lot of time trying to market my show. Maybe. Well, that's that's interested. what I do, though. That's part of my freelance business is I do marketing. Okay, yeah. So, but I'm, I'm really know, bad at that. I, I I cannot do it. But it's, you know, you've you've built up. You know, it's been an organic build. I think for your yeah, audience absolutely. and people have found you over time. Uh, the first month, I had like twenty downloads in total. <laughs> which was laughable and then i thought like okay this is a nice experiment i will not do any marketing and see how this grows and that's organic growth how long how long have you been doing it uh five years now okay how long did it take for you to get to where you felt like oh this is really this has an audience yeah about episode 25 to 30 it all of a sudden got a real boost um and that was also to do i bought a new microphone because the first one i had no microphone i just improvised and i used the thing uh, in my laptop the default microphone which was horrible uh, but uh, okay i took it serious and i bought a decent well actually good microphone and from that moment onwards i saw it um going a bit better and it also has a lot to do with the subject i pick so, for example, when I did um, an episode about Belgian beer, I literally saw 10 times <laughs> downloads than when I talked about Congo, for example. That's uh, interesting, so, yeah. yeah. Well, Anytime it, if it's Belgian and it's, it's about beer or chocolates or something else to eat, it's, it's great. They want to know. Yeah. But uh, that audience sticks. Uh, so they also listen to the other stuff. And then I get emails sometimes from people like, hey, do, do something about this subject or that subject. And that's great. You can talk to people like that. And one thing I want to say, because I have to go in five minutes, okay. but the, what I want to say is people keep repeating uh, and mailing me about, why don't you do an episode about that or that sports guy? Because we have like Eddie Merckx, the, the most famous uh, bicycle runner uh, 
I'm, I'm not just interested in sport myself, so I have to really dive into that because if you make a mistake there, not knowing anything about the subject, I don't know how many world championships that guy has won by heart, of course. I, I really yeah. have to dive into that. So that's a bit of a, uh, a disadvantage of my podcast. If you want to have sports history, nah, you're not going to find that much. In my, I did it twice, I think, but it's not my thing. Yeah, it's not your bag. I got it. I get it. Um, is there anything else that you want to include? And, you know, maybe we could schedule when you're not busy to do another half hour or so. Because um, mm-hmm. I, I think I'd like to plug this into both podcasts, like I said, Last Train Leaving mm-hmm. Belgium, as well as Armchair Historians. And, um, you know, one of the things I would love to pick your brain about is about World War II and the resistance, because you do seem to know a lot about that. But is there anything else that you wanted to add at this point in time? History is important. And um, it's important that independent people make podcasts and that people support that. Because um, if you have to pick information and learn history from your everyday media or an article in any newspaper, then it's really bad. It's it's dismal. It's it's totally well. Excuse me for to say this, but it's rotten. They they pick what they can use in their narrative. They change it a bit, and then that's your history. So I want to really stress that I I think the podcast movement, especially for history, is great. You can learn about almost any country, be it Russia or Germany or the US or whatever and dive into that and learn about people who are passionate about that, who read books, who watch documentaries, who do research themselves. And that's more important than watching uh, whatever channel and, and yeah, get, getting their narrative. Yeah, I think what I keep hearing from you is that um, you have to look at all the sources. You have to, I mean, maybe not all of them, but no, look at different sources, yeah. different points of view. My boyfriend is really big on that. He reads the conservative media. He reads the liberal media. He, you know, I don't know how he does that, but he does. I learned mm-hmm. from him that way, but it's important. You know, it's important to him. And I've learned a lot from watching him do that because it's easy to spin a narrative based on yeah, how I absolutely. feel yeah. and what my point of view is. That's interesting. That's that's sometimes difficult because the, the for example the episode I'm doing right now uh, about that white march and the, the the big demonstration there I have really big opinions and a lot to say about that personally but I really have to uh, keep my guard up to not do that because it's not an opinion show. It's right, and you're letting yeah. people make their own decision about it based on the information. Yeah. And I think that's sometimes more valuable. Sometimes I let it shine through a bit, of course. In some episodes, I, I, for example, I laugh with something because it's so ridiculous. And then everybody can make up their mind and, and guess what I'm really thinking about that. And that's not bad. But I'm not telling anyone like, oh, look how stupid these guys were. No, yeah. because they're not stupid. They're just uh, people in history who did something for whatever reason. And... Um, and, and they are surrounded by other people who let them do that. Yeah, interesting. For also any reason. So it's 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 not it's not that uh, certainly uh, for Belgium it's sometimes really walking on eggshells, like not trying to to 
push it one way or another. Uh, I really don't want to have the label like you are pro-Flanders or you are against the French speaking or whatever. It's, uh, it's, I, I, I honestly don't uh, care about that in the history point of view. Right. I, I just want to tell what, what happened. So you're, you were born in Belgium, you're Belgian. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you speak, do you speak, uh, well, you speak English, you probably speak French and um, Dutch. Is it Dutch? No, yeah. Flemish. What is it? Flemish I'm so bad, obviously. <laughs> what is it? No, officially, it's uh, the Belgian version of Dutch. Okay. Um, but, um, well, where I live, they all say Flemish or Vlaams. So um, my mother's tongue is Dutch and uh, the Belgian variety. And uh, uh, I speak a bit French, but actually... I'm really horrible at it because the schooling system wasn't ideal for me, let's say. Um, so I can speak French a bit. I, I, I worked at some companies where French was the main language. So, yeah, I can, I can do something with that. I prefer English. I loved Belgium. People were so nice. And mm -hmm. when they found out that I spoke English, they would speak English to me. My mother's French was really bad because she had lived in the United States for so long. Mm -hmm. And so um, <clears throat> I couldn't always rely on her. Plus, she was she was getting sick and she was towards the end of her life. But um, I just I loved Belgium. I, I loved the kindness and, you know, that people were willing to help me. And, you know, I loved everything about Belgium. Unfortunately, my mother never declared her citizenship at a certain point. She was uh, living in the United States and it was after the war and she had to make a decision as to whether she was going to be French or Belgian. And she just didn't do it. And she just okay. became American, yeah. which I, I wish she would have declared one because I would have been able to um, become one of those, especially Belgium. I would love to be Belgian citizen. I, yeah, of course, I think Belgium is great as well, <laughs> but um, it's hard to do a podcast about the country you really don't like. <laughs> no, yeah. I really think Belgium is great, uh, the food, the people, everything. And also, we have also a, a sense of humor about ourselves. We don't take ourselves too seriously most of the time. There are exceptions, and you can even laugh a bit with them, but uh, it's... Um, it's a special country with a special uh, history, and I really wanted to do this podcast also to to emphasize that, to say like, hey, people, realize you live in a very special country, even our el election and our 50,000 governments we have, it's, it's all there for a reason, and it's all there because we are that kind of special country. And yeah, there are disadvantages of that as well, uh, but uh, okay. I never re really appreciated my Belgian um, ancestry or heritage uh, until probably the last 10 years. And the more I learn about it, the, you know, there's so much diversity. It's, it's like it is a melting pot of, you know, the three countries that surround it. Right. Is it three countries? Well, yeah. four if you if you count uh, Great Britain. Oh. So yeah, France, um, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, Germany and then the fifth one. Thank you All for right. joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Anne-Marie? Okay. Good evening. Anne-Marie. Yeah. Anne-Marie. Thank you. Yes. Thank you.
So there you have it, Manuel, host of Random History of Belgium. Be sure to check out his podcast. I'll leave a link in the episode notes. Just a reminder, you can keep up to date on the latest armchair historians information on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, won't you consider becoming a patron of the show? Uh, There's a link in our episode notes for Patreon where you can get more information. Thanks and have a great week.